Welcome to the I Love to Watch You Play.com podcast, episode number four, Sports Specialization. Today, joining me, two special guests, Amanda Cromwell, UCLA women's head soccer coach and veteran broadcaster, Alex Flanagan, and we're talking sports specialization. There's a lot to cover and we've got a lot of great guests coming up, so let's get right into it. Christian, thank you for joining us. We have Christian Lavers. He's executive vice president of U.S. Club Soccer. He's coached at all levels and is currently the president of ECNL and has a wealth of knowledge. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here and have the opportunity to talk to you guys. So, Christian, you're a parent. You've coached. You've been involved with soccer at just about every level. Where do you see the problem with specialization and who is to blame for it at this point? Well, I think it's a topic that gets greatly oversimplified, uh, probably for all sorts of alternative purposes beyond just what's best for the player, because I don't think any of the answers in specialization are as simple or as trite as people make them out to be. Uh, Certainly, you can't argue with the fact that if if you do the same thing every day uh, for hours a day athletically, you're going to have a significantly increased risk of, of burnout or uh, of overuse injuries. And, and that's the story that gets parroted most of the time when people start talking about specialization is that kids have to do mul- uh, a multitude of different sports. Otherwise, they're going to end up hating, hating athletics and, and, and hurt all the time. But in my experience, anyway, uh, it's just as likely that you have issues where kids are playing far too many sports and going from one sport to the next sport to the next sport six, seven days a week, and you end up with the same outcome of injuries and burnout from a different cause. So I think it's an issue that deserves and needs a lot of discussion because it, it isn't quite understood by people, I think, in, in, uh, in the depth and uh, with, with the detail that it should. It's a great point you bring up that you're trying not to specialize. You're told to be a multi-sport parent and have multi-sport athletes, but yet that's a difficult thing to achieve for parents. I mean, how do, what, what are they supposed to do? Um, well, I think it's, it's very it, it's easy to make those decisions a lot better when you just go back to what does the player want to do, um, because you have some kids that that for whatever reason they love one sport, they're passionate about it, that's what they want to do all the time, and that's a great thing. And what you need to do then is make sure that they don't burn themselves out by doing it all the time, or have people that are just pushing them to do more and more and more of the same sport. And you got to balance rest and recovery, uh, change up what's happening in training so it's not always the same thing physically all the time. But it, you also have kids that love to play two or three different sports, especially when they're younger. And you need to find a way to facilitate that because ultimately kids decide to stay in the environments where they have the most fun, where they feel some mastery. And so when they're at an age when they're playing different sports, uh, I, what I think you need to do is figure out how to make the environment fun, how to help them continue to get better. And over time, as players get older and they have to make choices or they choose to prioritize where they spend their time in terms of this sport or that sport or this environment or that, they almost always pick the environments where they have the most fun. So, Christian, as president of ECNL, how how do you make sure the coaches and uh, everyone in your league um, – enables that 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 same philosophy um how is it um passed down to them that it's okay to play multiple sports and is there any 
uh, work with other uh, communication with other leagues of other sports that uh, to make it easier and enable um, these parents to help their children get around to different practices. I know that's part of it. When you know we were growing up, we were I remember running from AAU basketball uh, from soccer practice, and that that is a you know some a challenge for these parents. Well, I think. <laughs> That's a tough question to answer, and and part of part of the answer is we believe that the answer far more lies in education than in mandates or rules, um, because people only comply with mandates and rules and prohibitions when there when there's a gun stuck to their head. What you want to do is get people to understand why something is better, or why something is right or wrong. So we do a lot in terms of education of coaches, in terms of running better training sessions. Um, uh, how to run your club or how to manage your club better. Uh, the the ECNL also, I mean, our youngest age group is U13. And for me, anyway, the ages of 12, 13, 14 are, I guess, what I would call the sorting out age groups where players start to decide where they want to spend more time, if it's this sport or that sport, or, or where soccer fits in the priorities. So in some ways, what happens with, uh, with some of these kids in the younger ages where they're really playing a lot of sports isn't directly impacted by the ECNL. Um, when they get into the ECNL age groups, um, the, first, the first part is we, we, we schedule to accommodate high school soccer to begin with because there's, there's different demands and pros and cons at every type of soccer. And so we don't conflict with the high school season and make kids make a choice in, the, in that respect then just the natural way that scheduling is done in, in, in most places, there's a type of time of the season that is generally pretty low uh, in terms of competition. So, for example, in the Midwest and um, the Northeast, uh, the winter time is pretty low in competition. There's a few showcases, but it's pretty common in that, at, that, uh, at those ages to have kids that play basketball because it's, it's easier to balance in the primary basketball season in the winter and the soccer seasons being spring and fall. I know in other areas of the country, maybe their primary season is the winter, but then there's track in the spring. It's a complicated issue, and I'm not going to pretend that everybody gets it right. Um, but I think the more talk there is about it, the more people share opinions and re- and and uh, research about it, the better off we're all going to be. And, and I think you're right. And all of the more we talk about this issue, the more people can learn. But I think one of the problems is it's so good on paper. And when we hear these statistics about these NFL players that played all these sports, they're going to be allowed to play all those sports because they can show up on game day and no one's going to um, penalize them. But if you're the good athlete that loves to play a lot of sports, when you show up after being gone for a practice, you're not going to start in that game. And I think that's part of the problem and why parents are driving themselves crazy going to thing to thing to thing and making sure we don't miss anything. Well, you've raised a really good point because those statistics and those stories about what NFL athletes did when they were young are fundamentally flawed by the fact that most of us are not NFL athletes. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, the reality is that the more athletic you are, and you're also talking about a sport that outside of a few positions is heavily, heavily dominated by athleticism as the first and foremost trait. Um, so you, you immediately have a difference, in my opinion anyway, uh, in, in terms of soccer when every player has got to be able to manipulate a ball um, in terms of skill acquisition than when, when, uh, when a lot of the players in, in, in football, 
for example, they never touched them all. But Christian, I think um, so, yeah. I think Asia's point, though, I think what, what she, the point she's making is that I think the parents sometimes is caught in the middle because our coaches being instructed in our organizations like yours telling the people in charge that, hey, if somebody else has another commitment, it's okay. Um, they, they can, they, you know, they won't be penalized. They won't if they miss their practice or if they miss and they're, you know, a certain age. But, but I think the reality for us parents is that's not really the truth. That's not what happens. Yeah, and, and I guess part of that you have to delve down onto the age group um, because at, at a certain point, uh, the players who spend more time in the sport are going to be better. And they're generally speaking, you know, all things else being equal. And so at some, at some point, you have to look and say that um, it may, maybe it's not a kid being punished because they missed. Maybe it's the fact that if this player is training uh, three days a week for, for the season and the other player is showing up one to two days a week for the season because of, of other commitments, they're likely over time is going to be a performance gap. But that's a lot more relevant at under 16, under 17 than it is at under 10. I mean, I, I, I happen to believe that there's too many people who claim to have the answer in development and, and they act like it's a recipe. And if you just do all these things and these steps that you're going to develop the next Lionel Messi. And ultimately, if we all knew how to develop Lionel Messi, there'd be a lot more of him. <laughs> and so I think when you look at 10 and 11 and 12 year old kids, they develop themselves. Our job is to have an environment that has that uh, encourages them to come back because they have a good time. It's our job to hopefully provide them information that helps develop, helps them develop quicker. But, you know, we say this within the, uh, within the ECNL, leagues don't develop players. Clubs help develop players. Coaches help develop players. But ultimately, players develop players based on what they do, how hard they work, how inspired they are. And we play a role in that. But in my opinion, it's, it's not the biggest role. Uh, parents play a role, culture plays a role, friends play a role, the organizations play a role. But ultimately, I think if we all took a step back and, and had a little humble pie, we'd recognize that there's kids that, that develop, that we have no, no idea why this kid developed and that kid didn't, didn't develop as much. Because at one point in their career, we'd say, you know, this, the player who didn't turn out was better. Um, and so I think in that regard, if you look at it that way, you're not going to be so controlling over the environment and the attendance of a 10-year-old. And so I think, you know, you can argue about whether what is the age where commitment um, and consistency starts to be more important. I would say it's probably somewhere in U14-ish, a year before, a year after, you can kind of split hairs. But I, I don't think there's any argument at U8, U9, U10, U11, U12 that these kids should be, so, you know, so forced to be soccer robots. I don't know. I, I might argue that they wouldn't they make do. it. I might argue they wouldn't make it to U, U14 if they're not pushed by the coaches and the parents. But Amanda certainly is so knowledgeable in that area as the head coach of UCLA women's soccer. I mean, what, what's your take? Well, I think the I think the coaches do play a huge role. I'm, I just I just went out and uh, volunteered uh, with the U8s and U9s, and it's really interesting to see at that level how serious the parents are and um it it took me back a little bit i mean these these little athletes are they're pretty good little players um and it made me uh, wonder wow what what are the expectations here and what are being put on these kids and i think it's the coach's job 
to kind of try to be a barricade of sorts um, and try to take away some of the stresses that are on these on, starting at eight, nine years old and make it more about the fun and loving the game. And not everyone's going to be a, a Messi or a Mia Hamm, um, you know, and there's innate abilities that some players have, but I know the, the coaches um, can play a, a huge role in, in these players having that mindset of, yes, I can miss and go play another sport and not have to um, stress about and have anxiety about missing, knowing I'd come back and I still have my role. And I, I kind of equate a little bit to if you have a starting role and you get injured, when you come back, you should still have your starting role. I think a lot of coaches live by that. And to me, it's the same thing. And, and I get it. It's, it's a, that's where the fine line is. If, you, if you're missing training sessions for other sports potentially, and, but you come back and you still – You've earned that starting role. Should you not be a starter? And that's that would be a struggle for me as a coach because I think once you earn it, um, these other players are getting their time to try to, uh, you know, maybe bump you off the totem pole. But um, as a coach, uh, I, I, I see it as you want to enable them to do these things and take away some of the anxiety involved. Yeah, no, good I, I point. Would, I would totally agree with that, and and I'll give you a specific example. Because I coached uh, a young man who is now not a young man and is playing in the NBA. And when he was NBA basketball, and when he was uh, a U, uh, end of his U14 going into his U15 season, he made the decision that he was going to prioritize basketball uh, over soccer because that's what he wanted to be a professional in. Um, and I, at the time, I mean, it makes it makes a lot of sense now. He's making a lot more money in basketball than anywhere, <laughs> yeah. than anywhere else. But at the time, you think, well, that's a that's a big goal, but okay. And and we said to him, and and this was several several years ago, we said, okay, I understand you're going to do that. We'd still love to have you participate in soccer. So here's the ground rules we're basically going to have: we train three days a week. If you miss one training a week because you're playing basketball, there's going to be no impact. You'll start. Because your performance level, was, and this is, goes back to my earlier point, his performance level was very, very good, even if he missed training sessions. If you miss two training sessions a week, so you're only attending once a week, I can't start you because it's not fair for the kids that are there every day who are pretty good, but they're there every day and you're there one day a week. So that week you won't start, but you'll play a lot. And if you don't come to training at all, then there's no guarantees that you're going to play. And that was my attempt, and somebody could probably – pick and choose and argue whether that was the perfect way. But my attempt to facilitate a player who wanted to make basketball his priority but still wanted to maintain a soccer um, a soccer playing ability. Those are good and ground rules, I think. Out very yeah. Well. yeah, yeah. And on that note, Christian, we want to thank you for taking the time. You were terrific, and we, we really learned a lot. Christian Labors from U.S. Club Soccer. And up next, a unique situation working on the solution for this, um, a hockey team and a soccer club team that came together um, in a very unique way. Finally, a flicker of hope. Joining us now, Chris Murphy, the executive director of Coastal FC Soccer. Chris's club and the local hockey league, South Delta Hockey in Vancouver, joined together to coordinate their schedules to allow their athletes to play both sports. 
All right, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. How how did this idea come about? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, we we live in a small community, a uh, very tight-knit community, and I think a few of the, um, the sports organizations, specifically the soccer group and the hockey group in the community, um, decided that it was time to sit down and try and facilitate a more uh, family and athlete favorable system so that players wouldn't have to choose between uh, between sports and try and avoid them uh, being forced into an early specialization. Uh, we're, we're fortunate enough that uh, in our community there's only kind of one organization for each uh, each sport specifically, so we didn't have to coordinate amongst a bunch of different stakeholders it was uh it was easy when we 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 met and we realized that between hockey and soccer groups we were uh, sharing a common philosophy and some some common athletes and uh, from there things just flowed quite naturally chris what was do you remember was there a specific impetus for it like were there a couple kids that couldn't make both practices or, or how did you know that there was a problem and that you had to find this solution I think sometimes, uh, well, certainly in our case, you're so focused on your own organization and, and maybe not intentionally um, disconnected from what everyone else is going. And it, it definitely took the, a bit of a catalyst with respect to starting to see some, some players and some parents uh, who were clearly under a bit of duress about uh, being able to meet their respective commitments. Um, so we started to get a bit of sense and a bit of feedback that some of the scheduling challenges were difficult. And then once we, we started feeling like there was some challenges, we reached out to hockey or they reached out to us. I can't recall specifically. And the, uh, their group also felt like there was something going on. And we sat down and started, started from the youngest ages, tried to realize where kind of the low hanging fruit of just organizational uh, improvements could be made and then as we got older and to higher levels of play where the commitment in each sport was such that it started to become quite difficult uh, or more difficult then we we realized that that required a little bit more of a uh, more of a direct approach on a on an athlete specific basis i'm curious what's the response are they taking advantage or or more uh, players doing both because of the collaboration I, I, we don't have any firm data on whether or not that's increasing participation. I think that uh, at the end of the day, both sports and both clubs are quite well known. And for those who who choose soccer or hockey or both, they, they know how to access it. I think what we're trying to do is ensure that once they get in there, that they have a chance to um, to experience it, to fall in love with the sport. And if they get introduced to the other sport, then then we try and give them that opportunity as well. That's, we commend you for doing that. I think the parents must um, be relieved as well. It, were you guys aware of what's happening in terms of specialization? And, and was that was was that a reason that you decided to try and, I guess, alleviate some of the pressure that's being put on kids and parents? Yeah, I think we took two approaches. One was sort of more of a specialization, you know, high-performance pathway approach, Um you know, that's obviously been a very uh, sexy topic over the last while. Um, but and, and as much as it was about the, the sport, um, the sport pieces, it was also just about trying to make 
people's lives easier, trying to make sure that they didn't get uh, strained from a family scheduling standpoint, that they were able to uh, try and do well by their children who just want to play. You know, I think, you know, having come from the professional game and seen a lot of different levels, I think at the end of the day, what people fail to realize is that they're still kids, they're, they're players, the game is for fun, and that, you know, on occasion when adults overthink it and there's too many barriers and there's too many restrictions, the fun kind of gets lost in the process and get lost in the messaging. You know, there are some some crazy parents out there. Was, has there been any negative response that they were opportunities taken away of training time or training hours? You know, they're not, that, they're not that crazy Great in Canada. Question. The, parent, not? the parent's not asking it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and hope that none of our parents hear this. Um, <laughs> but. I find that parents uh, have a, they get put to a test and they can be very much part of the solution or they can be part of the problem. And we recently had a meeting with, uh, with both, both clubs and one of the identified obstacles was parents who try and manipulate the system and parents who try and have their cake and eat it too and try and affect what we're trying to create because they have a different outcome in mind. And, you know, so one of the things that we've recently or a couple of the initiatives that we're going to implement coming forward is that and it's, it's as much to do with the, uh, the timelines where teams are formed and different things happen. But in June, we are going to so we've got uh, we're, we're working on a, a joint club philosophy or position statement on the issue, which is then going to be shared with our with our staff, our coaches. And then in June, we're going to host a bit of a uh, bonding session, let's call it, um, (laughs) which adding a few sports personalities in there could go any which ways between the, uh, between the clubs to try and build bridges in age groups with coaches of hockey and coaches of soccer so that they build trust and and a bit of a communication bridge between them if there's issues. And sorry. That's so awesome. I love it. We're all yeah. smiling ear to ear here. I know you can't see that, yeah, but we and are. The, and then the follow-up is in September. We're actually going to identify, we're going to, we're going to cross-check the registration list of, of players who may be in conflict, and we're going to invite their uh, families, uh, maybe not the players, but certainly the parents, and we're going to put them in a table with the coaches of both sports and try and basically say, hey, listen, there's, there's no more hiding. There's no more issues. Here's the statement from both organizations. It's up to all of us for the benefit of the child and the player to try and find paths to make this forward. So we're going to, we're going to take that initiative this year. And we're also going to look at creating a, what we'll call a multi-sport advisory committee to try and um, share our experiences and try and be more inclusive of other sports that are certainly facing the same challenges. What would you say to a larger community? Um, you mentioned yours being smaller and maybe it facilitated uh, the conversations a bit, but uh, like a city like L.A., is it possible to find two sports to have this kind of relationship, do you think, based on your experience? You know, for, when I say smaller community, I mean, our soccer club is still 4,000 players, so we're mm-hmm. not, we're not yeah. tiny. Right. Uh, we're, we're, dealing, we're dealing with reasonable logistics. I, I've spent a lot of time in L.A. I know the soccer market down there quite well. Um, I think the reality is that, uh, and, and that, I mean, Southern California is the hotbed for, or one of the hotbeds in the world for youth soccer, so I, I understand some of the challenges. 
I think there's a couple of things. One is you need some kind of catalyst or impetus for change. You have to want to see it and you have to have, you know, it's like sort of standard mediation. You got to have parties, whether it's two or more that want to see it happen and they, they have a common goal. And sometimes that needs to be more or less facilitated. You're not going to always come about it naturally, but I think if you had, if you had the willingness to negotiate and to engage and you had some, you could pick that low-hanging fruit and find some success. I think the difference to some extent with, with some of the American soccer system specifically is that there's so much competition between ECNL and the DA and all the regional leagues and different things, different outlets. And there's so many pushes and pulls on these clubs, on these players. And it's uh it's a highly competitive market. If you don't right. provide the service and the product that somebody wants, they, they bail on you and they go somewhere mm-hmm. else. So True. I, I, can't, I can't imagine the challenges of leading a club through that, whereas in our case, I think we basically said we're okay with what we do, and if people choose a different outlet because they want to be in a different environment, that's, yeah. that's their right to choose as a customer of our club. Yeah. We're going to hope that we do a good enough job and people buy into that, that in our own microcosm in our own small community that we can affect the change that we can and ideally that someone else sees that and they try their best to take that on board as well i think you know the science is still out on a whole bunch of these other things the optimal time to specialize the level etc i'm not i'm not an expert in that area but i think we need to try and make those opportunities available to these families as long as we can well, good for you guys. Hopefully other people will see what you've done and take your lead because it does take a, a, some courage and some strength to be able to stand up and kind of chart that course. It really does. Chris Murphy, thank you so much for joining us. And hopefully more people hear this podcast will hear that and maybe it'll start a trickle-down effect. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I love the idea of just you have to want to see it. And I think we're kind of living in a culture right now where we're keeping up up with each other so much, keeping up with the Joneses. The FOMO, like you said. The FOMO, right? We're yeah. so afraid of like, well, and and we're it's not. We I don't want to yell at parents because we're all trying to do our best, and it's not fear of missing out because it's necessarily what we want. I mean, I guess deep down it is what we want, but you're trying to do the best by your kid, right? And you're trying to help them achieve their dreams and you're trying to make, you know, a well-rounded kid and get them into college and all these things that you want for them because we love them and we think that's the right thing to do. But well, I think also Chris pointed out that it has to be the club has to be willing to take absolutely. the risk. So they know and he they said have to be willing to lose players. Yes, yeah. you have and to money. be willing to and yep. money. Yeah. I love the fact they get to choose like the whole psychological component. You know, I I think back to um high school for us, we had we had spring soccer and winter basketball. I know in California, Florida, and a lot of states, they have soccer and basketball in the same season. I can't imagine having to choose. So like, it's really cool that you take that stress and that anxiety mm-hmm. off of a player that wants to do both and let them do both. And how freeing is that? And I think when you have those two organizations working together, now the parent and the player doesn't have the stress of that, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be benched if I'm not there and I can't miss this practice well, now. It's out in the open and we've and all to agreed what he to said, it. And said, and that, I give them so much credit. They didn't just implement it and let it lie. They went and they're following up with meetings between the coaches of those players to mm-hmm. make sure you see he's saying that, he's agreeing to that. That's what's going to happen. So he's holding everybody accountable across the board. 
Well, it's things like this. Hopefully, the more we talk about these subjects, we've had some great guests today. Hopefully, spread some, um, you know, <clears throat> good sports juju. Yeah, good sports <laughs> juju. Go spread, Canada. Spread the knowledge. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you all for listening on the I Love to Watch You Play dot com podcast. Thanks to all of our guests, and of course, for all the news, inspiration, and information about how to survive this crazy world of youth sports, visit us on I Love to Watch You Play dot com or our Facebook page at I Love to Watch You Play. And follow Coach Amanda and her Bruins at uclabruins.com and her Twitter handle, what is it, Amanda? At Cromwell UCLA. Until next time, thank you all for joining us.